Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. podcast i am andrew alex from espn radio here in the great town of blacksburg virginia i am joined alongside my friend mike and padre mike mcdaniel live from nova what's going on tiger what's up buddy how you doing doing well i'm doing well unfortunately folks we are without ricky leblue today something came up and he is unable to go don't worry we don't go very often without ricky He will be back very soon. Between now and then, me and Mike will break down the entire Boston College offense, what Virginia Tech needs to do to slow down this Boston College attack. We'll talk about key matchups, and we will make our ACC picks. All that coming and more. But first, I have to tell you that the Hokie Hangover Podcast is brought to you by Main Street Pharmacy. Main Street Pharmacy in downtown Blacksburg, Virginia, is the kind of place where they'll treat you like a neighbor rather than a number. If you want a pharmacy that truly cares about you, our community, and the Virginia Tech Athletic Department as a whole, look no further than Main Street Pharmacy. Our good friend, Dr. Jeremy Counts, and his wonderful staff will take care of everything you need. All right, Mike. Well, the Hokies take on Boston College this weekend, and things are looking different up in Chestnut Hill. Over are the days of Steve Adazio and seven and five mediocrity. This past offseason, they moved on and turned to Jeff Halfley as their lead man. Halfley, who comes to Chestnut Hill by way of Mike's favorite city in the country, Columbus, Ohio. Where oh, yeah, there? yeah, yeah, yeah. where he spent one year as co-defensive coordinator and the secondary coach that coming after a long string of assistant positions in the NFL. Apparently the people at Boston college, they love pulling from Ohio state for their coaching searches and halfly now their man, the Eagles at this season, I'll tell you, they look a lot different offensively the past few years, Mike, Boston College, you remember with A.J. Dillon, you remember with Williams, it was run first, run second, and if that doesn't work, run again. But now, with Halfley and former five-star recruit from Notre Dame, who transferred this past offseason, Phil Jerkovic, things look incredibly different. Jerkovic has three 300-plus yard passing games this season. To put that in perspective, folks, from 2013 to 2019, only one Boston College quarterback had a 300-yard passing game. I, I saw that today, and that absolutely blew my mind. You look at the kind of quarterback he is, and Justin Fuente compared him to Ben Roethlisberger, and you look at the frame, and you look at the passing style, and it's very similar. He stands back in the pocket, makes a lot of no-read throws where kind of he knows where he's going before, and he's a big presence back there. But, Mike, from what you've seen at Boston College this year – how much of a different element does Jerkovic bring to this program? Yeah, I mean, you hit the you hit the nail on the head with all of that. Um, yeah, the BC offense looks a lot different. Now, they're still trying to run the ball, Andrew, I think it's fair to say, right? I mean, they got 129 rushing attempts this year on the season. Success is a different story. <laughs> but the success is a different story. That's right. Like, they're still trying to maintain that offensive balance, but they don't have it, right? I mean, it's been... Phil Dracovic or bust, right? It's been, let's complete 65% of our passes, eight touchdowns, two picks, and let's just ride the wave of our former five-star quarterback, which is what you should do when you have quarterbacks of that caliber in the room. It's been a while since BC has had a quarterback this good. Um, But yeah, eight touchdowns, two picks. He's taking care of the football. He's got three rushing touchdowns as well. The thing that's that's pretty funny, Andrew, it stands out to me. So uh, Dracovic, this is like obviously... (laughs) 
doesn't it's not adjusted for sacks so sacks are included in this but he's got 40 rushing attempts this year um, this includes all sacks for two yards and three touchdowns he's got more touchdowns than rushing yards if you include his sacks uh, so look he leads the team in rushing touchdowns which is telling you something they haven't run the ball with any sort of real success David Bailey is their lead back um, he's got 48 carries for 148 yards on the season with one touchdown so it's not like they're not trying to run the ball with him. They certainly are, but he's not doing much of anything on the ground, only averaging 3.1 yards per carry. And Andrew, it's surprising to me um, with, with the running game specifically, because on paper, BC prior to the season looked like one of the best offensive lines in the ACC. And I think it's fair to say, you know, their pass protection has been pretty good, um, but their running game just has never really been established this year. And, David Bailey ran the ball well last year um, when A.J. Dillon was out injured. Bailey took over the primary running back duties for BC, and he did a pretty nice job. And this year, he's had a really hard time getting going. So it's been a surprise up front that Boston College's offensive line hasn't been quite as good as advertised, I think it's fair to say. Yeah, I mean, I, I was looking at, at statistics just all day for this Boston College running game because it had me so confused. I mean, you look at them just last year five yards per carry, 253 yards per game. This year, 1.9 yards per carry, just 60.3 yards per game. Khalil Herbert had more rushing yards against Duke than any BC back has had all season, and they've played four games. Yep. Like, that says it all. And just looking at their performance in comparison to what they had going under Adazio, I looked at all their games since 2015, BC's performance running the ball in every game this year would rank in the bottom 10 rushing performances since 2015, including the second and third worst performance since that time. Those were against the ACC schools in Pitt and North Carolina. Yeah, it's really surprising. Um, they've been historically one of the better running teams in the ACC, at least in the last like five to 10 years under Steve Adazio. But it seems like now with Jeff Halfley, it's not like they've abandoned the run. They're just not any good at it. Um, BC has the worst rushing offense in the ACC right now. It seems crazy to say that because what we've known of Boston College, at least during the Steve Adazio era, was that they were going to play really strong defense, sometimes like top three to five defense in the country good, right? And then offensively, it was going to be, okay, establish a run and the play action pass with limited playmakers on the outside and limited quarterback play. Sounds and, a lot like Pitt to me. Right. And that's really what they were for a while. And now they're at the point where it's totally flipped. Like the defense is still good, but it's not elite like it used to be, uh, but it's still very good. And offensively running the football has been a real struggle. And it's no longer the strength of their offense. The strength of the offense lies on the arm of Phil Dracovic, which, you know, I, I don't think is the worst thing in the world because of the caliber of quarterback that he is and what he's proven to be. Um, through the first handful of games here for BC this year. Um, it, it's good that he's taking care of the football, but I think as the season goes on, it's going to put a lot of stress on this Boston College offense where, look, they're going to take away the run and make Phil Dracovic beat him through the air. And it's going to be a winning proposition in some games and a losing proposition in others. Yeah, I want to talk about Phil Dracovic and, and but primarily his weapons here because he has two guys that he really goes to. The first we'll talk about is a wide receiver, sometimes in the slot, sometimes on the outside named Zay Flowers. Now, Zay Flowers, he's a game breaker, man. I mean, he's a big play threat that opens up the field for his teammates. And if you're Virginia Tech, you got to account for him. Just talking about this kid. First of all, it's kind of surprising. He's just a sophomore. He was a mid three-star recruit kind of out of, out of Florida that has just absolutely thrived this season in Boston College's new pass-heavy attack, you know. Right now, the ACC's leading receiver in both yards and touchdowns, three touchdowns against Pitt last week. When I talk about this big play threat stuff, I'm not kidding. Three touchdowns, one for 77 yards, one for 44 yards, and one for 25 yards. In the first game, 61 against Duke. Tech fans might remember him because last year, in just what I believe to be his first ever college game, yep, a 58-yard reception against Tech and a 33-yard touchdown reception in that loss that, you know, still is going to leave a really bad taste in a lot of Hokie fans' mouth. You think about the big play threat, and now we just look back to last week with Daz Newsom and Diami Brown and having Matheny back there at safety and a sketchy situation at corner, even with Waller on the field at times. Mm -hmm. How important is getting this group back and having Jermaine Waller potentially shadowing Flowers here? for Virginia Tech to not let this game, you know, to not let Djokovic beat them on just one big pass. 
Yeah, I mean, as we sit here recording on Wednesday night, as far as we know, there should be several members of the secondary back, whether it be Breon Murray um, having Waller back for a second consecutive week. What's really important for Waller is just getting more practice under his belt um, just because he hadn't been practicing for the better part of the last month or so uh, leading up to last week's game. And it showed at times, right? He's going up against elite receivers who have obviously played in games and had practice time. And that was Waller's first performance of the year. And the rust showed, right? I mean, Waller was not the player last Saturday that we saw him to be last year. And that's to be expected when he hasn't practiced or played in eight games yet. Uh, but it's really important to have him back. I think what's even more crucial, and we'll get into it when we talk about the tight end, is, is having Shamari Connor back. <laughs> He's going to be really crucial in this game as well. Because Zay Flowers, real quick with Zay Flowers, like you mentioned, like this kid's elite. Uh, Flowers, look, 5'11", um, a kid that's a little bit bigger than this receiver that he reminds me of. But when Jamison Crowder was at Duke, he did a lot of the same stuff that Flowers is doing for Boston College. Just real quick in the open field always open, um, never really truly covered. Um, and the kid can really just make plays after the catch. And he reminds me of Jameson Crowder uh, when Crowder was at Duke. Now, Zay Flowers. Yeah. A great comparison. And that, now, by the way, Crowder ended up being one of the all-time leading receivers in the conference. I think he's all-time at Duke. Yeah, he's definitely all-time at Duke. And um, we'd have to double check this, but I'm pretty sure he's top five or six in the ACC um, in regards to career receiving yards, et cetera. So a really solid career. And look, it's not going unnoticed for Zay Flowers. Zay Flowers today was named to the Blitnikoff Award watch list, so he was overlooked for that um, at the beginning of the year. I'm not really big into watch lists um, because Neither I think... Neither am I. I think they're stupid. Yeah, they're stupid. Halfway, I think, halfway point of the season. Right, right. And, and I think what you do throughout the year really just kind of dictates whether or not you're going to be in it at the end anyway. Um, case in point, Zay Flowers being added to it after his three-touchdown performance last Saturday. So... Yeah, Flowers is really, really good. He's averaging over 19 yards per catch. Um, he's got four touchdowns on the year. I know three of them came last weekend, but he is just electric in the open field, and he's a game-breaker, and he's a guy that Jerkovic really looks to um, look early, early downs, but also on third down. Flowers has been a guy that he's really looked to, and he is the key cog in this offense for everything he's able to do not only just as a possession receiver, but what he can do after the catch. He's been electric for Boston College. Really fun to watch. You know, absolutely, Mike. And I think for Tech fans, I mean, he does a lot in, in the open field on big plays, similar to Trey Turner. But the other similarity to both Trey Turner and Robinson is what he can do on the sweet plays in the ground. They use that to throw you off, and they've done it successfully with him in the past. Another thing he, he, I think he had a touchdown last week. It was a fade out of the slot, similar to what we see Tech do with both James Mitchell and Tavion Robinson. No matter where he lines up, he is a threat. And it's no surprise that Djokovic has been able to go to him time and time again. But, you know, you were talking about someone that might have been overlooked going into the season and has ended up really exceeding expectations. And that goes to the other target here. And that's tight end Hunter Long. Yep. Long is just a machine. NFL style body. I mean, he'll be a future pro. I really think he will. It yep. doesn't matter how many people are covering him. Djokovic is going to throw it to him anyway because he just finds a way to make the grab. Currently leading the ACC in receptions, second in yards. He was actually Boston College's leading receiver in terms of yardage last year. He already has more receptions through four games this year than he did all of last. This, I, I, I see, is going to be kind of a mismatch, kind of a problem. Now, if you're tech, you do have to worry about Flowers, and you do have to worry about the deep ball, especially given Flowers' speed and Dracovic's arm. So to some extent, you know that the ball is going to go to long a lot if you're taking that away. But with the way that the linebackers played last week, who are you looking to to kind of try to lock down this guy? Who's going to cover this tight end who, who has been the number one target for Dracovic so far this season? Yeah, I mean, Hunter Long, 6'5", 253, NFL body, like you mentioned, um, without a doubt. And I think what Virginia Tech's going to have to do, because the linebackers really struggled last week in coverage especially, I think you have to look to a guy like Shamari Connor to match up on, on Hunter Long. Um, I think that's the route you need to go down because Dax Hollyfield struggles with athletic uh, tight ends. Ashby is just not that kind of, I mean, he's, he's a middle linebacker for a reason, right? He's not a guy who's going to be able to consistently cover this type of athlete. Um, plus he's, he's small, right? He's standing about five, nine, five, 10. Um, and, and look, I, the thing I, the thing I struggle with here with, you know, 
these linebackers and it was a valiant effort last week, right? I mean, they, they didn't play great. Valiant they effort hard. They up 400 yards. They, they, they played hard, but they didn't play great. And a lot of times they were out of position. I mean, Alan Tisdale, look for the latter part of the game was playing safety and his whole key was, okay, you're, you're reading the tight end. And I, I think having Shamari Connor back will help that a lot. I think having Diablo back will help that a lot, but Connor is the better cover guy than Diablo in my opinion. And so I think that we'll see him lining up or at least shadowing Hunter long. I think that's the way the tech needs to go because look, I don't think Tech's linebackers can play with this guy. I really don't. And that's not, that's not a slight, you know, Tech's got very athletic um, linebackers who can do a lot of good things, but none of the three really are, you know, have strengths in pass coverage, right? That's just kind of the way that it is. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's, truth <laughs> yeah so i think that's you know that's a big reason why tech runs that four two five defense that they run i i, I think it's going to have to be connor i mean do you have any other thoughts on that i i just i mean i i was i was thinking that as well i mean i think at times they're going to move him around unless you're going to have connor shadow him the entire game i think hollyfield's going to have to step up and outplay what we expect out of him in pass coverage at least at times but i think generally if you're justin hamilton and if you're you know trying to come up with your game plan you have to minimize the mismatches between long and those linebackers because he can really kill you in the pass game i mean that's just we right. know that's what they're going to do it's just a matter of and like i said i mean he's had between six and nine receptions in every game. Like right. no one that they've played has been able to truly shut this guy down. So you have to focus on limiting him as much you can while still being cognizant of the fact that if you over-focus on him, they're just going to beat you downfield 70 yards with the Trey Flowers play. Because like you said, or uh, Zay, Zay, Trey, it's all confusing to me. <laughs> Zay Flowers play because at the end of the day, he has game break speed. Now, I want to get back to the run game and the offensive line real quick, Mike, because last year, BC's offensive line was phenomenal blocking for A.J. Dillon. All five of their starters earned all ACC honors to some degree, and they returned four of them this season, all four still playing. To put that in context, no other team returned more than two all ACC linemen. But this year they can't run the ball to save their lives. And they've allowed 17 sacks, which is third in the ACC, barely behind Duke who's played an extra game to them. So what exactly is the issue here? We know this is a talented offensive line. We've seen it before, but their inability to get that run game going. And I mean, I wouldn't say that the protection of Djokovic is as much of an issue. Those sacks might be a simply a product of the fact that they're throwing the ball so damn much. But at the end of the day, I, I expected more out of this offensive line. I thought this was a group that maybe going into the season, people thought would be better than Tex, right? So well, what's going yeah, on? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I posted that on Twitter. I was like, hey, look, I think Virginia Tech has the best offensive line in the ACC. And everybody goes, oh, Notre Dame, Notre Dame. Yeah, well, yeah, of course. But Notre Dame's not really an ACC team, right? But the other, the other popular answer was Boston College, which I had, look, on paper before the season, you know, there's an argument for that. Um, but you know, through the first month of the season for both teams, is there any argument as to which offensive line is playing better right now? BC's offensive line and pass protection. I agree with you. I don't think it's as big of an issue from a sack standpoint as the numbers would indicate because Boston college is throwing the ball more than almost every team in the ACC. They're throwing it a ton. So sacks are going to happen. There's going to be times when guys aren't open. There are coverage sacks. And to be honest, that number actually could be a little bit bigger because Phil Dracovic, I mean, to be totally truthful, is been able to, you know, shake off some of these defenders um, and, and throw the ball away or get it to a receiver or just have it be an incomplete pass, whatever. Um, he hasn't taken as many sacks as he probably could have for the amount of times they're throwing it. So, uh, look, BC's offensive line could be a little bit better in pass protection, but it has been totally terrible. Um, running the football has been a major issue, like you mentioned. Um, their two lead backs, David Bailey and Pat Arbo, the third, both averaging 3.1 yards per carry. They run it a ton. They don't run it efficiently. And that's a major problem. Um, now, this is why I think it's really crucial for Virginia Tech this week to rebound defensively against the run. All year long, Tech has not been very good um, with, the, with their rushing defense. The second half of the NC State game, it was apparent there were missed tackles, et cetera. But the thing about that was it was the opener. Tech's missing 20-something guys. You know, it's passable. The Duke game was a little bit more of a concern um, because they ran all up and down the field on Virginia Tech. 
um, and, and those running backs got loose a couple times. And it was problematic for Tech there for a little bit in the second half. And then obviously last week was what it was with Javante Williams and Michael Carter. That was an issue for Virginia Tech. If Boston College, the worst rushing team in the ACC, finds a way to run it efficiently on Virginia Tech's defense, I think it's time to sound the alarms a little bit on the rushing defense for the Hokies this year. Uh, Because, you know, this is by far the worst rushing offense that the Hokies have faced this is an opportunity for Tech's defense to rebound a little bit after a really poor performance last week. I think they're going to have to. As far as the offensive line for Boston College is concerned, running the ball, I'm not sure what has happened because, like you mentioned, they have a lot of talent returning. There's experience there up front, but they haven't really gotten any sort of push up front. And as a result, they've kind of pivoted, and now they're just kind of running it every now and then to just kind of keep the defense off balance. And they're trying to be an offense that, you know, runs the ball first and then throws it second, but it's gotten to the point where they've been so poor running the football that they've just left it up to Chicago to throw the ball a ton. So I think Virginia Tech's defense is really going to have to hone in and tackle well again on Saturday, because look, if this Boston college rushing offense gets going, jerk vexers can get more and more comfortable back there. And that's going to be putting the Virginia Tech defensive front in some precarious situations, which as we saw last Saturday against North Carolina, when, UNC was running the football well. You know, Virginia Tech was back on its heels rather than attacking that North Carolina offensive line and creating pressure on Sam Howell. And Dracovic, much like Sam Howell, can sling it all over the field. So Virginia Tech's really going to have to take away the run that's going to be paramount this weekend. Yeah, I mean, I want to say this about the Virginia Tech defensive line because Chris Coleman brought this to my attention on my radio program earlier this week. And I think it's it's not an excuse, but it kind of makes sense of what going what's going on. We know that there was a change in scheme this year when Justin Hamilton took over as defensive coordinator, not entirely, but slightly from what Bud Foster and Charlie Wiles were trying to do. Yep. Now, our defensive linemen that we're currently running are extremely undersized and really would only ever be defensive linemen in that wilds foster scheme. You make the switch. These are our guys that we have though. And you're already without Deshaun Crawford. So you basically have dudes who athletically and physically aren't really supposed to be able to effectively do what you're asking them to. And for our, our listeners, I want to make a comparison. Think about, when Georgia Tech switched their offense from the Paul Johnson triple option offense to what they're doing now. You had an entire roster full of guys that were recruited based on their physical attributes and skill sets to do something completely different than what they're now trying to do. Right. As a result, there's going to be two things. There's going to be a hangover because you have guys who simply even at their best might not be ready to do what you're trying to do in that offense or in our case, defense, And there's going to be a bunch of young guys that get early playing time because they're the first guys that you recruit to do the new thing. So I I think that you don't necessarily want to blame guys like Gerard Hewitt and Narelle Pollard because this is very new for them and this isn't what they were recruited to do. But at the end of the day, the mismatch still exists. And that's what worries me against such a good offensive line. Now, the good news is that we've seen Virginia tech be able to stop the run against Duke and stop the run against NC state, a team that has run the ball pretty effectively against nearly everyone else that they've played. Don't get me wrong, but just the experience and the caliber of these offensive linemen, despite the fact that through four games, they have been ineffective and they've been extremely ineffective when it comes to running the ball, that mismatch or that potential mismatch, I should say, is something that you really want to keep your eye on. I think that's one of the real keys to the game is that defensive line being able to bounce back from that. On the other side, we talk about Djokovic. They're going to throw the ball. They're going to throw the ball a ton. We know this. Do you expect to see a lot of linebacker blitzes coming in, trying to put pressure on him, trying to make them change it up a little bit, keep them on their heels? Yeah, I mean, I I think so. I think that... um... (laughs) I think part of the reason why Virginia Tech struggled so, so much last weekend was a not taking away the run, but B not being in the position to attack the offensive line in North Carolina, as much as they could have through blitzing um, through creating pressure and opportunities for the guys in the secondary. I, I think that Virginia Tech's going to have to do a better job of that this Saturday. Definitely. And to your point about the interior defensive line, Look, I think Virginia Tech's defensive ends, for all the flack that everybody was giving them, like bringing, up, bringing Amari Barno to defensive end to kind of be another big body there is real crucial. That's something that 
I think fits this scheme very well. Having a, a big bodied athletic guy, defensive end, Justice Reed obviously fits that bill. Belmar's a little bit undersized, but I think overall this year he's played pretty well. Um, struggled a little bit last weekend, but who didn't on that defense? But the interior defensive line, like you mentioned, um, doesn't the guys they have on the roster right now are a lot smaller than what Justin Hamilton um, is going to need moving forward um, for the scheme that he's going to run. And that's just kind of a case of tech, just not having the personnel. So what does that mean? It means that the linebackers need to play well, right? We can't afford to have Ashby and Tisdale and Dax Hollyfield disappear from the game. Like they did last Saturday, miss assignments, et cetera. Like we can't have that because I think you get to the point too, where when the secondary is real beat up, you saw that having Matheny back there instead of divine Diablo, how crucial that was when the defense interior part of the defensive lines game dominated the linebackers are out of position. And then you're left one-on-one with a four-star running back, you know, either Williams or Michael Carter against Tyler Matheny, a third string walk-on um, who's going to win that battle nine times out of 10. We know the answer. We saw that in the flesh last Saturday. So I think it's real crucial for the linebackers to play a lot better um, and I think it'll be really important, obviously, to get the bulk of the back end of the secondary back as well, because when teams do expose the interior defensive line of Virginia Tech, the strength of the defense and the linebacking core in the secondary is going to have to be there to clean it up and kind of minimize the gap until Tech is able to get the type of personnel that they need on the interior defensive line in the next few years. Two teams with decent pass rush. I mean, at least higher end pass rush within this conference. Pittsburgh and Duke both got to Djokovic six times. Do you expect to see Tech do the same thing? I do, yeah. I mean, I think the defense will bounce back. I, I'm not anticipating Boston College to run the football that well on Tech. Um, I'm just not. I, I haven't seen it to date. And, like, Virginia Tech's defense looked bad last Saturday. I don't think they looked that bad again. There were there were a lot more elements of the offense for North Carolina to worry about on the outside than there are with Boston College. I mean, Zay Flowers and Hunter Long are great, but outside of that, you're not really – dealing with anybody athletically who scares you as a defense. Uh, So I I think Virginia tech will be in a better spot this Saturday than they were last Saturday. And I expect the defensive line as a result to have a little bit more success with the pass rush. Now, Mike going to the offensive side now for Virginia tech, Hendon hooker, as he was named prior to the start of the season, especially following the second half revival of the Virginia tech offense against North Carolina, will be starting this game just straight up right off the bat. What different elements do you expect to see out of this offense now that it's hooker instead of Burmeister at the helm? Well, I think that Brad Cornelson will be much more comfortable passing the football. Don't you? (laughs) I think that's the immediate, (laughs) uh, that's, that's the immediate, the immediate for me. It's like, I think he's just going to throw the ball more, uh, which it can be good and bad, right? I mean, one of the major criticisms that we discussed on the recap pod for UNC was the fact that Khalil Herbert wasn't involved early enough in the game. I think this offense needs to be predicated on running the football first. There's no doubt about it. But I think when you get into obvious passing situations when maybe the run hasn't been as successful as you would like, you'd like to have a guy back there who you're comfortable completing those downfield passes with more certainty than Braxton Burmeister was. And I think that's what Hendon Hooker adds to this offense. Um, so, Look, I think Tech will throw the ball a little bit more. I think their bread and butter will obviously be that read option um, and just the straight you know, running back sweeps off tackle that they've run with so much success with Khalil Herbert. But I think Tech will be a little bit more comfortable throwing the football. And I'm curious now to see with that if we start to get more out of Trey Turner, right? Because offensively, he has not been very good. I mean, he's been good for about one to two plays a game, but that's it. And... Tech would like to see the freshman version of Trey Turner back. Um, he was a bit of a disappointment last year. He hasn't lived up to the hype this year. I know he bet he's battled some injuries and he's um, he's nursing a sore foot this year as well. So he's got the injury bug too that's working against him. But I think Tech fans would like to see him emerge as a larger part of this offense on the outside. Because really to date, it's been Tavion Robinson and James Mitchell this year as far as pass catchers are concerned. I'm curious to see now if Caleb Smith or Raheem Blackshear or, you know, uh, Nick Gallo, like guys we had heard about maybe contributing a bit more in the passing game start to emerge. How about Shanga Hodge, right? We haven't heard much out yeah, of him. Evan Fairs. Yeah. Evan Fairs. Like uh, some of these guys who transferred in, like 
is this their time now to kind of step up and, and rotate in? I mean, Justin Fuente alluded to it in the press conference earlier this week when he spoke with the media. He said, look, ideally, we'd like to rotate more guys in um, at the skill positions. And for all the hype, Andrew, that Raheem Blackshear got in the offseason, he really hasn't been utilized all that much. I mean, they're trying to use him, but, you know, they're talking about splitting him out in the slot and having him spell Herbert, which he's done a good bit. But I'm expecting to see more out of Blackshear. It, it almost feels like for all the hype Blackshear got, Khalil Herbert has lived up to it, right? It feels like Khalil Herbert should have been getting the hype that Blackshear got all offseason about how dynamic he was and how well he could play. And we just haven't seen him utilized in that manner. It's been the Khalil Herbert show, which is great. But if Tech can get more out of Blackshear and utilize him a bit more in the offense, I think they'll be much better off. And it's not a slight of Blackshear. It's, it's, I, I think he's played well when he's been in. But I think there will now be more opportunities with headed hooker back there to get guys like Blackshear, Changa Hodge, Evan Fares, um, those types of guys who we haven't heard a lot from this year, a bit more involved in the offense. Yeah, and Blackshear is one who's especially on my mind. I want to see him making plays all over the place. Now, Blackshear, we know, came from Rutgers, transfer, played well there, all Big Ten honorable mention. If you're a listener to this podcast, you've probably heard me rile those stats off multiple times before. Probably his best career game, or one of the top three best career games he's had, was actually against Boston College last year. He had nine receptions, 130 yards. One play that stuck out, though, it was basically Rutgers had him lined up in the backfield on a shotgun next to the quarterback, and he just ran a little seam route and, and was able to catch the ball about 10 yards down the field and make people miss with that speed and that shiftiness to the house, 72 yards, right? And I compared that to a little bit of Boston College film I was watching earlier. I watched the condensed game of them when they played UNC, which by all accounts, maybe UNC wasn't at firing all cylinders in the way that they were against Virginia Tech. But Boston College defensively kind of kept Sam Howell in check. But one play that stuck out to me there was it was a broken play. Boston College had brought the pressure. Sam Howell was able to evade the defenders. And Javante Williams, who was in the backfield, was able to get out of pass protection down the field, little dump pass, and he was able to bring it to the house for 41 yards. That's the kind of situation I can see Blackshear really thriving in, and we've seen him do it before on a lesser team, right, with a lesser offensive line and all of that. I think fans are going to go crazy if Khalil Herbert's not getting the ball in the first quarter because I think we can all agree that in your 10 scripted plays to start the game, if if – your nation's leading rusher isn't involved in that. That's a little suspect on the part of Brad Cornelson. But I, I think this is a real opportunity to get Blackshear involved. I'd love to see this be his breakout game. Another player who I'm really curious to see how he does is James Mitchell. Now, James Mitchell, I, I tweeted about this earlier this week. He's had a, you know, a season where you've seen the hype around his development come into fruition. Team's leading receiver, touchdowns in all three games with passes from three different quarterbacks past that hundred yard mark for the first time in his career last week. I'd love to see what he can do here against Boston college. They've only really faced one team that features the tight end in their passing often so far this season. And that was Duke Duke's tight end, not a slouch by any means, right? Not a slouch by any means. It's Noah gray. And he got five receptions for 61 and a touchdown. I could see James Mitchell topping that. I'd also like to see him continue to develop what he does in that run blocking game because both are going to be super important out of him this game. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I mean, Khalil Herbert in the um, press availability on Tuesday was talking about how great James Mitchell has been blocking downfield. And what was interesting is because James Mitchell came out right after that. And he mentioned that, look, he wasn't really utilized as a blocking tight end in high school, which isn't that big of a surprise. I mean, James Mitchell was likely the most athletic guy on the field in most games that he played. And he was probably utilized as a pass catcher a lot more than he was a blocker at the high school level. So it makes sense. Um, so I I'm interested to see how he continues to progress as a blocker. I mean, he's been really, really good for the Hokies sealing edges and blocking downfield and Khalil Herbert's compliment him multiple times for that. So it's safe to say that Mitchell, despite not being utilized as much as a blocker in high school has now emerged as one of uh, tech's best skill position players blocking uh, downfield for these running backs. But I agree with you. I mean, Mitchell needs to continue to be utilized at a high level in the passing game. And we saw him emerge last year. Of course, Dalton Keene was still on the roster, but you saw the potential with Mitchell and he received so much hype last year. And you saw how good he could be when he was used um, in a more prominent role. 
And now that he's stepped up this year and he's been put in that position more often than he was a year ago, we see how good he is. And he's got, he's got a big frame and he's a guy who creates mismatches on the outside for a lot of these ACC defensive backs. And he reminds me a lot in that manner of Bucky Hodges and, and Bucky Hodges was obviously a little bit taller than James Mitchell, but he's creating those types of mismatches on the outside. And he's making it very difficult for these, uh, for these defensive backs he's going up against on a weekly basis. I'm really interested to see what he does against Boston college, because I think that's one area that tech will be able to continue to attack is with James Mitchell at tight end against the Boston college defense. That, like you mentioned, hasn't defended well in the one appearance we saw with a team that features a tight end. Um, that's very good. And Noah Gray, like you mentioned with Duke. Now let's talk about this Boston college defense. Now I remember the first game preview we ever did on this podcast last year. A lot of the talk was about the weakness of Boston college being their young defensive backs. And despite the fact that Ryan Willis threw three interceptions in that game, playing in an offense that he didn't really belong in, he was able to air the ball out through for over 300 yards. There were some big plays there. But it looks like since then that this Boston College defensive back unit has improved to some degree so far. Top half of the conference in pass defense. Is this a strength of the team or or is this still something you look at as a weakness? Yeah, I mean, I think the thing about Boston College is that look like total defensive yards per play. I mean, they're fourth in the conference, giving up an even five yards per play through their first three games. Um, So they're at the top half of the conference in that regard. Um, they've been decent against the pass this year, um, which is, I guess, a little bit of a surprise when you look at BC. But, you know, you consider the offenses they've played and look, it's been Duke, it's been Texas State, it's been Pittsburgh, like none of them are really good passing offenses. And even when they face North Carolina and Sam Howell, you would have expected North Carolina to put up more than uh, 26 points. Sam Howell had only 225 yards passing in that football game. So BC's defense, um, it's been a mix of, Uh, the competition they've played number one and number two, they've just flat out improved. Like they're better than they were last year in the defensive backfield. So uh, look, I mean, BC, as far as pass defense is concerned, you know, it's a small sample size. So maybe they're not quite as good as the numbers indicate. On the other hand, there is clear improvement. You can't take that away from them. So it's not exactly a situation where tech can just roll the helmets out on Saturday and automatically beat all of BC's defensive backs. I don't think it's that situation at all. Where's the opportunity for Tech to expose this Boston College defense? Is the recipe still going to be just gut the ball down their throat with Khalil Herbert, or, or do you see another opportunity there for, say, Trey Turner or someone else? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really good question. I mean, I think Tech's going to have to obviously establish the run. Um, Boston College is fifth in the ACC in defensive yards per play, so it's not like they're better and one facet over the other. I mean, they've been really strong kind of both in the run in the past. I, I just think for Virginia tech to really have the success they need to have against this Boston college defense, the guy continued to run the ball well um, as well as they have uh, in the first three games of the year. And then obviously be able to add that passing element now with Hendon hooker in the lineup, because I think tech is going to be much more efficient through the air than they were with Braxton Burmeister. I think that'll help open things up a lot against this Boston college defense. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and like you said, Hooker just makes this a three-dimensional offense and we did not run a truly three-dimensional offense with Braxton Burmeister, with Quincy Patterson when he was in. It was clear that just the offense wasn't completely opened up. And in the second half of the UNC game, it reminded me of what we saw against teams like Georgia Tech, Wake Forest, Pittsburgh, and Miami last year, where this offense was just absolutely rolling. If we can see that again, I have a hard time believing that Virginia Tech loses this game. But is there anything else you'd like to add before we get to our ACC picks here, Mike? No, I just, I think this is a game that Tech fans can't overlook. I understand that Virginia Tech, as we record this here on Wednesday night, is a double-digit favorite in this football game. But this is not a game that Tech fans should overlook. BC is 3-1 and for a reason. They've thrown the ball extremely well. Um, they have a plus five turnover margin. So they're not turning it over a lot. They're forcing turnovers defensively. So turnovers is going to be a really important part of the story on Saturday. And Virginia Tech, I think, is going to have to play better on defense. They just flat out did not play well against North Carolina. And there have been obviously some, <laughs> some holes in the defense from COVID. And a lot of that stuff is out of Tech's control because, you, you know, it's 2020. You just, <laughs> who knows week to week who you're going to have and who you're not going to have. Um, But I think the guys who are in there and playing just need to perform better flat out. And 
I think having added practice time will help these guys. And I think Virginia tech will turn in a better performance simply because Boston college's offense is not nearly as good. But like I mentioned off the top, Andrew, if Virginia tech struggles to stop the run in this game, I think it's time to sound the alarms on this running defense, because this is not a very good rushing offense that Boston college has. And if they run the ball well on Virginia tech's defense, there's no defense for it. Um, I, I mean, it's just going to be very difficult to def- sit here and defend um, the Virginia Tech defense if they don't perform well in that facet of the game on Saturday. So it's going to be really important for Virginia Tech's defense to have a good showing because Boston College can put up some points with Jakovic. He's going to sling the ball all over the place and Tech's going to have to be ready for everything. Yeah, last thing I'd just like to add is I heard a lot of criticism this week just generally towards the Fuente regime that since he took over, they have not been able to win that big game against a top 15 team where, say, you know, you're Virginia Tech, you have the opportunity to go on the big stage and knock a team off and throw yourself into the spotlight. They have been ineffective in doing that. But prior to the Carolina game, they played a top 15 team five times in the Fuente era, but four out of the five times after those losses, Virginia Tech bounced back with a win. I think this coaching staff is pretty good at getting these guys focused and looking forward, and I expect them to do that here on Saturday against Boston College. All right. Yeah, Andrew, Andrew, one more thing before we move on to our picks. The resiliency of the team this year is something to to kind of take note of. And the fact they've been down so many guys for the first two games and they were able to scratch and claw their way to a win against Duke and obviously perform as well as they did against NC State. And the fact that they were able to get back into the game on two separate occasions against North Carolina, it wasn't pretty. The team didn't play well. It certainly was not the best game on either side of the football. I, I know the offense had, you know, even though they put up 500 yards, there's some plays in the first half. I'm sure they would like to have back and defensively, certainly one of the worst performances they've had in a really long time, but with everybody they've had out and how they were able to scratch and claw against a really good North Carolina offense, I think should be noted. This team is not rolling over. It's not quitting. It's very resilient. And I think the coaching staff deserves some credit for that as well, even though, Um, Tech hasn't won that big game. I understand that. It's a fair criticism, um, and I'm not into moral victories, but considering what Tech has dealt with um, in in the offseason and in the first few games, being able to come back on two separate occasions and be put in a position there early in the fourth quarter, if you get one stop, you have a chance to go ahead and and potentially take a lead and win the football game against North Carolina. Um, To be even in that position, with how poorly the defense played speaks a lot to the resiliency of this team. So it's just something to keep an eye on the rest of the season. Cause there are a couple of big games left down the line. This is one of them, but it's not necessarily the highlight game, but this is a pretty big game on Saturday. The tech needs to win. Yeah, no, it, and it's certainly a game that given that Boston college has probably outperformed expectations and following that really big loss has taken on kind of greater meaning in the grand scheme of things. If you're a Virginia tech fan, you can't cross this off as a W and, and, I mean, quite frankly, with two straight losses against Boston College, you're certainly not going to cross that game off as a W. But like you said just before, Mike, I can give the team a pass on the defensive performance given the circumstances. But if you see it again against Boston College, especially with the run defense, that's when it's time to say this team might have a serious fatal flaw that we need to worry about down the line. I'm 100% with you. All right. And with that, let's get to our ACC picks. Obviously, Ricky's not here, so we will get his picks later. But last week, Mike McDaniel, not winning America Money 2 and 5. Ricky LeBlue, not much better, 3 and 4. And myself finally gets in the winning margin on a, for a week. I was 4 and 3. In total, me and Mike are both 8 and 10. Ricky is 6 and 12. All right, Mike, let's get it started. UVA travels to Wake Forest, where they are 2.5-point favorite. <sighs> Man. You remember Wakey Leaks? Man, that was fun, huh? <laughs> <laughs> and then people say Shane Beamer for head coach. I'm like, I'm not so sure about that. Yeah, exactly. Not when he's handed the place of the other team. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm going to take UVA here. Uh, they might be without Brandon Armstrong. It remains to be seen. He left the game last week with a concussion against NC State. Tough game for UVA. Um, Wake Forest defense is not great, Andrew. Um, and I, I think Virginia bounces back here, whether it be Lindell Stone or Brandon Armstrong, I think the offense performs better, but they need to win the turnover battle. They've been turning it over a ton. It was a big reason why they lost last week against NC State. So I take UVA here, but they got to be careful. 
I agree with you on that, Mike. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see what they're doing with their backup quarterback in, but I just don't have much faith in Wake Forest. I mean, I picked Campbell to cover against them. I, that did not happen, obviously, but there were times when I saw Campbell really moving the football in that game, and I think that Wake Forest is going to be able to do that a lot more effective, or Virginia is going to be able to do that a lot more effectively against Wake Forest. All right, game number two, Bobby Dodd Stadium in Atlanta, Georgia. Clemson, a 27-point favorite over the Yellow Jackets. Clemson. I agree. Clemson, yeah. I, say that. I, they have Trevor Lawrence. They, they have Trevor Lawrence, and Georgia Tech struggled with turnovers. I, they remedied that a little bit against Louisville, which is great to see because they're fun on offense when they take care of the football. But it's going to have to be Clemson because I think that defense has forces a few turnovers to James Sims. I think the spotlight is a little bit too big for those Georgia Tech freshman playmakers. So give me Clemson. Got to give, give the Jackets credit, though. Who would have thought they would have handled Louisville the way they did? Agree. No, I'm totally with you. Really impressive fourth quarter from them. Pitt takes on Miami at Hard Rock Stadium. The Canes, a 13-point favorite. Everything about this game screams like <laughs> screams Pittsburgh, right? And, and the reason why I say that is because Miami got in a slog with Pitt last year. It was 16-12. to 12. They won the game, but they won ugly. Um, they, they won pretty handily two years ago in 2018, but everybody remembers that Black Friday game in 2017 when Miami was a playoff contender and got blown out um, against Pittsburgh. I'm taking Miami here. Andrew. And the reason I'm taking Miami is because Pittsburgh is Oh, three and one against the spread this year. Um, or I, I guess it would be Oh, four and one at this point, cause they played five games. Uh, so they haven't covered a spread yet, which is problematic obviously. And Pittsburgh lost me three bets two weeks ago. So I'm not real comfortable taking Pitt in this spot. I'm going to take Miami. They're a better team. And the Pittsburgh defense has just been suspect lately. So I'm going to take the hurricanes. I'm going to believe in the potential of the Pittsburgh defense here. I, I don't know. I have a hard time. I, I am buying Miami, but you know, just I'll, I'll just go against you on this one. Give me Pitt. Interesting one. Here. By the way, interesting on that. I made my spreadsheet here for these picks at like two o'clock today. It's now 7 p.m. And the line has moved from Miami minus 10 and a half to Miami minus 13 in that time. So yeah, the a lot of money on the Canes. Yep. A lot of money on the Canes. All right. At the Carrier Dome, Syracuse hosts the Liberty Flames. The Liberty Flames, three and a half point favorites. Yeah, I'm taking Liberty. I mean, Syracuse is without Tommy DeVito for the rest of the season. They also lost their star safety, Andre Sisko, and nothing about Syracuse inspires any sort of confidence. Liberty's 4 0. I'm taking Liberty. Yeah. <laughs> Don't look now, folks. Liberty is four and oh, we play them in a couple of weeks. But yeah, Syracuse, I mean, they were abysmal with Tommy DeVito. I can't assume his backup is going to be any better. Yeah. Give me the Liberty Flames on this one. Hey, uh, hey, Andrew, that, that game, Tech Liberty, that could be a ranked matchup. Believe <laughs> it really, or not. It really could be. Oh, yeah. my Lord. Uh, all right. 2.30 in the afternoon on NBC. Notre Dame hosts Louisville, who is one and three. Notre Dame is 17-point favorite. I mean, Louisville couldn't stop Georgia Tech's offense. You think they're stopping Notre Dame's? <laughs> Give me the Irish here, big. Nope, I agree. Give me the Irish. All right, Duke and NC State. It's at NC State, who is a five-point favorite. I've been really impressed with the Wolfpack, man. Like, Devin Leary's playing good football. They're running the ball well with BM Knight and Ricky Person. And the defense has actually played a bit better since that Virginia Tech game. So, Give me NC State to win here against Duke. Duke's still having a ton of trouble with turnovers. They won against Syracuse last week despite four more turnovers offensively. So they're having a ton of trouble taking care of the football, and I think NC State takes advantage of that. I hate that I'm constantly agreeing with you here, but it's uh, I really expected this to be a much bigger spread. NC State looks like a far better team than we saw when they played Virginia Tech. Give me the Wolfpack. Yep. All right, 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on ABC. Carolina Tar Heels, now number five in the country, travel to FSU. Heels, 13-point favorites. Yeah, I really wanted to pick Florida State, but now their star wide receiver, Tamari Ontario, is going to miss this game, and he's going to miss some time because he had um, some knee surgery or at least like a cleanup procedure done. So he's not going to be playing in this game. And Jordan Travis has been looking at him a lot. He had a big game last week against Notre Dame. Um, I just don't see Florida state being able to keep up without their star playmaker on the outside. He's been a big reason why Jordan Travis has had so much success as taking over at the starting quarterback position. I think Florida state's improved a lot. I, I think that Travis is the right guy at, at quarterback. And I think Florida state's going to be a pretty decent team this year. As a result, I think they're going to continue to improve as the season goes on, but I don't think it happens here. It's a, uh, 
spot for North Carolina where they could probably have a letdown and it's possible to see that happening. But given the talent that they have offensively against Florida state's defense and the fact that Florida state offensively, I think will have some trouble moving the football here in this game. I'm going to take North Carolina to win and cover here. Yeah. I'm going to go the opposite on that. I, I believe in the letdown game here and you just haven't seen North Carolina play a complete game of football yet. this haven't. year. Uh, yeah, so, and I think they're due for a letdown and, and this very well could be it. I mean, I figured they'll win the game, but I think 13 points is a lot. I don't think they're going to win this one by two touchdowns. So give me the Seminoles. All right. Last one for us, Mike, Virginia tech an 11 and a half point favorite as they host the Boston college Eagles. What say you? Well, this game could go a number of different directions. I mean, I think Virginia Tech wins this game because I think they're the better team. But what concerns me about this from Virginia Tech's standpoint is how does the defense look and who's healthy right in the secondary? A lot of us were concerned about that going into the North Carolina game last week because of the playmakers that they had. But Dracovic can do the same thing to you through the air. They don't have as many playmakers on the outside, like we mentioned, but their quarterback's really good. Um, I think Virginia Tech wins. I think they cover, but I think they're going to have a hard time getting there. Um, I think BC keeps this close for a majority of the game. I think Tech pulls away in the fourth quarter. So give me Tech to win and cover. Uh, I'm going to take Boston College to cover here. I just think that's a big spread right there. I think Boston College is a better team than we figured that they might be. They scare me. I'm not going to lie. They scare me. I do think Tech will win the game, and I think it's going to be a close one. I'm getting prepared for a stomach ache here. Yeah. These Eagles. Yeah. And Andrew. Cover Virginia Tech to win. And Andrew, I think the one the one other thing, too, is like tech needs to start winning these games, like these 50 50 toss up games in conference to inspire any sort of confidence in Justin Fuente moving forward. I think this is a really important game from that standpoint for the fan base. That's exactly it. That's exactly it, Mike. All right, folks, that's going to wrap it up for us here at the Hokey Hangover Podcast. I am Andrew Alex. For Mike McDaniel and our boy Ricky LeBlue, who could not make it today, we thank you for listening. We're also thanking our friends over at Main Street Pharmacy for being the official sponsor of this podcast. Please go subscribe. Leave us a review. That really helps us. I can't stress that enough. If you like the podcast, leave us a review. Maybe share it on Twitter. Tell your friends. Word of mouth is always nice. Our numbers have gone up recently, which means that, that we get some kind of validation that you guys like what we're doing and we like doing it for you. So if you're a listener, thank you from the bottom of our hearts, whoever you may be and wherever you may be listening. We'll be back next week, probably released on Tuesday to review everything that happened in the Boston College game and looking ahead with our preview next week for the Wake Forest Demon Deacons. Mike, before we go, any last messages for the people? Enjoy the game this weekend. It's going to be a, a really important one for Virginia Tech to win. Really interested to see how the defense bounces back. So uh, let us know what you're thinking uh, before we hit record next time. It'll be interesting to see how Virginia Tech responds. All right, folks. We'll see you soon. As always, go hook. Go hook.